guys are forever on my mind. They lived around the, and we would go out and some, we'd do all kinds of things from sports. We'd play baseball until the end of the day, and, and then uh, we'd ride bikes and go to the pool and, and try and get kicked out by the lifeguards. And, and then we go down to, we go down and imagine, uh, because we read the Hardy Boys and the Adventures, and all that, our minds were like, we'd be thinking about treasure and buried treasure and looking for treasure and all that. You're looking at me like I'm weird. I, maybe that was not you at all. But that's, that's really, I did. I spent a, a lot of those wonderful days and used to cry when school started. Oh, no. It's like going back to the penitentiary school. And you live for lunch and recess then, in gym class, that kind of thing, right? I did that. I would look for pirate's treasure and a trove of, of trinkets and all that as only a young boy could ever imagine. Well, I, I wondered, have you ever thought about the one treasure that really endures forever? There's only one. In America, people, of course, worship money. We don't. We just kind of snuggle up with it. One guy told me in business, yeah, he said, it's not making money. It's not getting money. That's not the problem. It's keeping it. I mean, it's like a sieve. It goes right through. Where did it go? And Jesus actually said that in Luke 17. He calls money another's. And Haddon Robinson used to say, that's not a bad way to think about it, because it's always another's. You get home with a, maybe a, a week check, weekly check in your sweaty palm, and you sit down, and you pay the bills, and then this and that. And if you save some, then they were, it's not worth what it was 10 years ago. Who robbed it? Inflation. It's always another's. It's another's. Americans treat money like it's another's. It's not. I mean, they treat it like it's an enduring wealth. It certainly, certainly is not. It is true that the one treasure that endures forever is found in what the Bible calls in 2 Corinthians in jars of clay. A number of years ago, Jonathan had that little gospel rock band. Some of you remember, how many of you remember that? He played it. Yeah, some of you guys do. And he, actually, I have a CD, and someday I'm going to embarrass him with that at his wedding or something. I don't know if he gets married, but you know how that is. You bring that out. And that's what he called his group, jars of clay. And that's what the scriptures say, in jars of clay. Now, what's that referring to, jars of clay? Your mother, when she canned the uh, pears, is that what it is? No. What is it? What's he referring to? Jars of clay. Refer to our bodies, right? Our bodies are, are jars of clay. And in our body, Paul says in that Corinthian passage, there it is in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this enduring, abiding treasure in these jars of clay. Now, what? there's one thing about jars of clay. They crumble. Have you noticed that your body crumbling a little bit? I notice that my hands wake up in the morning. It, 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 I, I remember an old neighbor, he's called a jigger figure or something. He just couldn't, you couldn't, it didn't work a little bit. It needs a... Maybe it's like the Wizard of Oz. You need a shot of oil with Tin Man. Anyone feel like that? All right. Yeah, it's like, how come that doesn't sort of work? Maybe I should have played more of the piano when I was younger, like you, Ed, right? Yeah. <laughs> I played five years like you did. It was torturous. Now I wish I had. Now I wish I had, but that's the way it is. The treasure is the gospel, and we possess it forever, long after uh, 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 time and talents and, and our, our wealth or treasure are spent and gone. And the reality is, if you possess the treasure of the gospel, you're wealthy beyond comparison. You and I are wealthy. What would you trade for it? 
I mean, when we've been there 10,000 years, right? I mean, 10,000 years, you go like 10,000 years. And we've only just begun. What would you trade? What would you trade? Would you take Donald Trump's bank account? I don't think so, would you? That'd be a terrible trade. I mean, you're going, going almost gone. They're about ready to carry all of us out. Look at some of you, you know? You know, like, I don't think you want to do that, right? Like, we've been there 10,000 years, right? I mean, for what? I want a condo at Malibu, right? What, for a few seconds? That's about what it is. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. Oh, if I could sing like Liber or, or play like Liberace, and you wouldn't trade for that talent, would you? I'll trade the gospel treasure. It's the greatest treasure you can possess. And we, we, we walk around with it in our hearts and souls. It is the gospel of Jesus. Now, the word gospel, we, we, we talk about the gospel, the God, but the gospel, the evangelon is the Greek word. It's like the ringing of the bell. The evangelon, it's an onomatopoetic word. Sounds like what it is, the bell ringing. It's announcing news. And if a king's army won the battle, he'd go through, send runners throughout the country, so announcing the gospel. Not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. We won. It's finished. Victorious. Freedom. We're not conquered. Yay. It was used that way. The gospel of Jesus is the greatest announcement ever. And we possess it when, when God opens our heart and we're saved. It's great. It's the greatest thing. It's greater than the, than the, the Steelers winning the Super Bowl. Some of you don't believe that. This, um, it is. Or... In the Bills, that now they've set the record for the, the team that go the longest without being in the playoffs. It's so sad up there. It really is. We went through the 90s, and they thought the Bills who were going to the Super Bowl, they might as well just put it on the schedule at the beginning of the season. Oh, pride goes before a fall there. <laughs> I think that's it. It is the greatest news ever. We are wealthy beyond comparison. It endures. Nothing compares with it. That's why the Apostle Paul on your sheet in Romans 1, our text that Paul read, uh, his words in 16 and 17 of that chapter 1 have been called by some the greatest words ever penned. These words tell how a man or woman can be right with God. It is the gospel. It is our only hope, this lasting treasure. Now, there are two reasons why the gospel is the greatest of all treasures found in our world. I want to uh, say that, uh, and here it is. Again, I'll give you the old style of preaching. The old pastors used to tell them what you're going to say, then say it, and then tell them what you said. Right? This is it. If you got it, there are only two, so it's easier. You've got to have at least two points. You know, you go like, why don't I have one point? Well, it is one point. It's the gospel. The last thing, here it is. The gospel is the power of God to save. That's it. It's not you. It's not your good looks. It's not anything you do. It isn't. It isn't that you're lucky, fortunate, smart enough to work through the nuances of it and you saw the light and, and oh man, oh, no, none of that. It's not because of your goodness. Uh, you have some goodness in it because you're made in God's likeness, but uh, you're spiritually dead. Nothing you could do. Totally depraved. That means you're totally uh, uh, in, uh, unable to move towards God in any sense to be saved. Dead men, dead women do not respond. They're dead. And if it's to be done, it's the power of God to save. Here's the second. It's the power of God to change. To change. To make us 
ready for heaven. You're not ready yet. You're not ready. On Saturday night, I've said how many times we had the family bath. Okay, no showers in that day. It was kind of a funny day where you didn't have showers. And you, we only heated up, you know, like this, Ron, being an HVAC guy. We only heated up, didn't have a hot water tank. It just ran through the, uh, the oil burner. It kind of had a series of pipes. I remember looking through there and seeing the flame. And that would heat it up so you wouldn't get much hot water. So the idea was you fill the tub up once for the boys, and then you drain it, and, you know, then you got a scour thing. <laughs> Whoa, get the shovel in, you know, and then we'll do it for the girls, you know, that kind of thing. Because the boys were older, we went first kind of thing. But the girls all had real long hair. They were screaming, yelling. Yeah, my mother would be like, ah, we got to squeaky clean, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like getting ready for church. And all the shoes were put out, got to scrub the kids, got to get them ready for Sunday school, Saturday night, my mother's weekly ritual. In, in, in the same way, you and I are not ready for heaven, even if you're saved. God's project, and it's his project, is to change you and to change me. And he's doing it bit by bit by bit through the power of the gospel. Now, let me jump ahead here. A lot of times we think, have a tendency to think that the gospel is the opening door. Oh, yes, back there I receive the gospel. And it's true in my life and true in many of your lives. But we some sort of how think the gospel's back there. Yeah, I came through the door, shut the door. I'm in God's family because I'm in Christ. And that's the right way to think about it partially. That's right. That has to happen. You must be born again. Jesus said those words, and that makes you a part of God's family. But it's the gospel that continues to work in your life and mine. In other words, it's God's project in me to prepare me, not for Sunday school like my mother, but to prepare me, changing me from the inside out to make me like Jesus. So that when he calls me or he comes, and you too will be ready and prepared for heaven, for his presence. That's an amazing thing. Now, what it means is, is that it's not your own reformation system. Now, we're messed up. Ed says that all the time. That's a good way to describe depravity. We are messed up. That's why I love the church. Come one, come all to messed up uh, gatherings of people. That's us. No pretense. Sometimes we try and put on our best face and our best front. Listen, we're all, we're all messed up. And we are God's project. So Relax. Don't pretend. Don't put a facade on. Don't tell us like you're holier than anything. We know you're not. Because we know ourselves that we're messed up. So you're messed up too. I know that. I've been a pastor for a lot of years. And if I'm still messed up, guess what I think of you? <laughs> that's the point. That's, that's why the church ought to be one of the greatest gathering places of sinful men and women. We go like, we're all messed up. God help us. It's your project. It's not us. You work in us both to will and to do, and you give us the power to change. Now, I know that's true because the Bible teaches it. I know it's true because that's still happening in an ongoing process in this guy's life. And if you don't think that's true, ask faith. I said before, to be married is to be humble. You know. You, you're single, you're kind of by yourself, you think, I, I think I'm doing pretty good here. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. No. 
<laughs> and I know it's also true because I've seen it in some amazing exhibitions of the power of gospel in men's lives to change them, in women's lives. I've seen it. I've seen the hardened skeptic's heart melt. I've seen brilliant people, not all, but some, come to Christ weeping. One man comes to mind. He was a Ph.D. Uh, from Penn State in, uh, in astrophysics. Uh, these guys are way out there. I don't, I don't even know what language they're talking. Talking 17 dimensions. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm three-dimensional, maybe. On a good day, right? No, there's all these dimensions and space, time, continuum. I just said, he, he, he gave me a nice textbook, wrote a nice note in there. And I saw that man bit by bit in this, I mean, that is typically a very atheistic science. And I saw the gospel, the power of Jesus, reach in and tenderize his heart and bring him to a sinful confession and wonderful salvation with tears in his eyes. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many brilliant, but some, aren't you glad? There are some. There are some. I've seen it change uh, all sorts of lives. I, I saw it change Bill. I used to, uh, to, I got called as a pastor in his home a number of times, and he would be drunk and beating up his wife, and one time he had the shotgun right in her mouth, and the kids around, and Ricky telling me someday, Ricky, about that, I'm going to kill him someday. I'm going to kill him. And to see bit by bit the grace of the God, arrest Bill and change that man forever. And still changing him if he's still alive. He's in a faraway state. I've seen the gospel change. I've seen the power of the gospel do that. It's the power of the Now, here's the reason why. Uh, and it's, we're going to say that a little more formally. When you and I speak the gospel, when we read the gospel, when we read it in a track, it is as the, not only are we making it clear, and I trust that we're doing that, we're giving ourselves to really understanding it. I mean, if we're going to give it out, we have to understand it ourselves. And it ta- it's not the simple gospel, how a man or woman is going to be made right before holy God. And how did God do this? And it's a finished work. And then as we simply express it, announce it, like it's a done thing, here's the thing. When we do that, it is as if it's the voice of Jesus speaking through that. There's nothing else like it. Nothing. Some of you like Shakespeare. Anybody like Shakespeare? Yeah, yeah okay. Oh, yeah, Susan, you're an English <laughs> major. That's right. Got one in a crowd. Yeah, remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah, I love saying that word. <laughs> Couldn't spell it, but I could, you know. Anyway, um, but Shakespeare, you could read Shakespeare all day. You could, you could uh, read some of the great writers, and it's not the voice. I mean, you, you get an idea of the, of the writer and, and the storyline and the character development and the tragedies, depending on what kind of literature it is. <clears throat> but it's, uh, it's, it's human. In the gospel... When we speak it and declare it, that's what you're doing. You're not convincing people. You're simply declaring. You're, you're letting your light shine of Jesus, and then simply by track or teaching or little, little comments here or there and the love of what makes you tick, let me tell you what Jesus did. It is the voice of Jesus through you that saves. And it's the voice of the Lord that, like Lazarus at the tomb, 
Lazarus come forth, John 11. And life was imparted where there was once death. That's the power of the gospel and that you and I are called to simply live and declare. It's God's work. And then it's God's continual work in us to change us. And we're going to note that. Well, let's look more formally uh, then. Two reasons why as your life comes to a close, I, I'm reminded you're not going to cling to your gold. Please, you, no, I've never seen a guy do that. Never seen a woman clinging to her purse. And that's a rather amazing. A woman is never without her purse. Have you ever, ever noticed that? Bring, bring my purse. You know, <laughs> not clutching to your purse, not clinging to your gold, none of that. Not to, not to your talents. Let me sing one more time. Oh, please don't. No, you won't do that. And it's, it's certainly not your watch. But if you are saved and know Jesus, then the angels and you possess a God, the angels will carry you to heaven to be with Jesus forever. I get that. From the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus told that story, that uh, Lazarus died and the angels carried him. And that's uh, uh, from that. For the gospel is the lasting, lasting treasure. Uh, why is that? First reason is the gospel alone has the power to save us from our sins. It's not the Ten Commandments, not the Golden Rule. It's none of that. You can't do it. Those are given to remind us that we can't do it. You fall short. John, Paul said, it's the tutor. It brings us to Christ. Lord, what are we going to do? We fall short. We've offended one place. We're a lawbreaker. Guilty, lost, um, and, and so on. Well, this is why Paul begins by telling us that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why is it in Romans 1.60? For it's the power, that's the dunamis, dynamite, dunamis, the power of God for salvation. That is the goal, salvation, to everyone who believes. The mere speaking of the gospel, Jesus calls to life. It is the power of God. This is, it means that as the gospel is spoken, God works through the feeble words that you and I may fumble over to speak to the hearts of spiritually dead men and women. He calls them to life, giving them the faith to believe and repentance. Why? Because of newness of life. God's power for salvation is released when the gospel is presented to people, whether young or old, rich or poor, doesn't matter what. Uh, it is the power of God to save and to call out. Remember Paul in Athens? He's proclaiming the resurrection, and, uh, and some scoff, the intellectuals of that. All they did is sit around and listen to new ideas, kind of like a university setting in Athens. And some said, hmm, boy, that's a different thought. Maybe we'll hear more about that. And then it says, and some believed. It's great. It's one of the great encouragements when you and I give out the gospel. Uh, I always remember the story at Faithy's uh, Father's Memorial Service about your dear grandma. Uh, she, a little German lady, about yay high, spoke, came over on the boat and was sickly but godly, loved the Lord. And all her kids uh, came to know Jesus, and they raised... Uh, it's the only, only family I think I ever ran into where all the way down through several generations, it was the grace of God and the gospel that they were all saved. And they were missionaries and pastors. It was really something. I really married up when I married into the Sheba family. Really amazing. And to hear this story that Pop, Faithy's dad's uh, mother, when uh, World War II broke out, and the servicemen were down uh, at the railroad station and shipping out, and some of you may have heard stories or imagine this, in Philadelphia, and she was down there 
uh, uh, and made it part of her ministry with missionaries and the gospel, she's out there passing out tracts to these, these GI boys that many of them would never come back because they're going over to the European theater or over to the Pacific or wherever. And uh, the story was told that one of the young men uh, who received that track, read that track, and the power of the gospel saved that man. God carried him through World War II. He got out, he went to Bible school, became a missionary. He and his wife, and they served in far-flung areas. And we never even knew the story until Pop had already passed and his brother was telling us the story of how many countless people were swept in the glory through little grandmother, hardly speak English, passing out the gospel tract. There's power in the announcement. There's power in the speaking of the gospel to save dead, lost sinners, as, uh, as, as what Paul is saying. That's why he's saying, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, and it could be the British idea, underspeaking, where he's really proud of it in the, in the right sense of that word. Think, again, think of Lazarus, John 11. Lazarus, come forth. You see, it's irresistible. Uh, really, when, when God is calling out a people, uh, the gospel is irresistible. God is already foreordained. He's calling out a people. He's provided for us at the cross. And the Spirit of God, how, who can resist God? Would you like to do that? You ever do a tug of war? I've ended up in the mud, you know. <laughs> hey, Z, you're on the front. No, I'll be in the back. No, <laughs> you guys look like, uh, you know, uh, they look bigger. <laughs> you ever be a tug of war against God? No one can resist him. And when God's word goes forth, he has his purpose, he has his people, and uh, may not be the majority, it's never been a majority rule, but God is calling out a people. He does it in a Sunday school class with little children as they hear the gospel. He does it in youth, he does it in home, he does it in media, Christian radio, he does it in reading, Christian novels, missionary stories, he does it through the preaching of the word. What's pastor talking about? That's incidentally how I was saved. Seven years old, you know, I sat with my mother in worship. I said, what's pastor talking about there? I felt really dirty. I felt convicted of my sin. And it was in the process of that period of time where God was working in my heart and finally opened my eyes and saved me from my sin when I was just seven years old. And God did it. He did it all. And he can do it in even younger ages. Some of your testimony, I was even younger than that. I think of the home my granddaughters are growing up with, Sarah, and she's, she's a terrific theologian. Uh, my, my daughter, she raising those girls to know in their, the depth of their heart that they're totally depraved. They're beautiful girls, but totally depraved. And they need Jesus as their Savior. He's the most important thing. It's all about Him. There's a heaven, there's a hell. I mean, the power of a mother planting that, planting that, planting Even if our kids become wayward, that's still deep in their heart. Deep in their heart. And uh, Sarah said something to Taylor the other month, something about um, the love of God. And Taylor, at four years old, she'll be five in February, said, oh, mommy, it makes me want to cry because I know how bad I really am. That's a four-year-old girl responding. And, uh, and, and we're just, uh, we keep praying and bathing each of our children. And, and we, as we pray for each other and pray for all of our children and grandchildren, we need to do that. The realization that God is the one who opens the heart. It is the power of God to salvation. 
Why would anyone be ashamed of this great news? Would you be ashamed if the Buffalo Bills won the Super Bowl? No, I'd be acting sort of silly and probably even maybe buy a jersey, finally break down. And, you know, like some of you guys do that all the time, walking around with black and yellow, whatever that, what's that mean, black and yellow? <laughs> hey, you know, like, don't go to practice, they'll kick you out, but that's our team, you know, like, you're proud of it. No, why, why, why would I? Well, why? The gospel's unattractive and repulsive to the natural man. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural man, that is the unsaved man or woman, does not receive the things of the Spirit. They're foolish. He considers it foolish. The reason for this is that the gospel exposes his sin. We live in a world that doesn't have any sin anymore. What became a sin? There was a book written a number of years ago. What became a sin? Hardly hear the word anymore. So it's like, oh, that's archaic. We don't speak of, oh, we made a mistake or a boo-boo or something. Or that what's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you, it may be different. Aren't we all right? Let's hug. You know, can't we be tolerant? You know, tolerance is like the last virtue. Maybe truth, but I'm not sure anymore. You know, if you lie, oh, no, you can't lie. I think that's going, but maybe tolerant. That sounds like judges, doesn't it? Every man did what was right in his own eyes, and the ship sank, right? You saw that. You remember that. And that's why they hate the gospel. It, it exposes. It's like the cockroaches. I used to work in a factory where at night, uh, second shift, we'd go into different rooms. They had all these boxes and storage, and I'd turn the light on, and man, what was that? I went across. That thing looked like a horse. It was a cockroach. You ever seen those things? They are ugly. Ugly. What? The light exposed them. And that's what the gospel does. Because it's bad news and good news. The gospel is bad news. Now, I was sorry to see some months ago, no, last year, on a, on a national news morning. No, it wasn't morning. Yeah, it was morning. I was, I was getting ready to turn the news on. And they were interviewing a pastor from Houston. And uh, this gentleman smiles so much, his face got hurt every night. And I don't know about, but they asked him, you know, about, you know, do, would you say people that, that have not received Jesus Christ as Savior are headed to hell? Oh, I thought, what a great question on national TV. Oh, please deliver it, deliver it. And he kept smiling and saying, well, I'd rather be known for what I'm for rather than what I'm against. I go like, what? Just that Jesus is love and heaven is wonderful. I go like, oh. He swung and missed. What is the matter with him? He had a, I mean, that was, they served up a lob ball. We used to say, man, that was right then, isn't that the word? He could have driven that thing right out of the stadium and he whiffed. The gospel is bad news. People don't know they need to be saved because they feel pretty good about themselves. That's not God's opinion. It's good news and bad news. And the bad news is our part. We're born in sin, and we sin, and we're lost, and we're under judgment. It's like our houses are on fire, and, and all are going to perish unless they should be delivered. They need to hear that. Look, the first thing about God is, is that people need to learn to fear Him. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy, angry God. Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands. When God met the uh, Israelites after they crossed the Red Sea and, and they sang that, that uh, uh, beautiful passage, Exodus 14, uh, and then 15, the, the great song there, then God trotted them right off to Sinai. And he said, put a rope around this place because I'm going to meet you there. And listen, I'm holy and you're not, and don't even touch the mountain. Stay back. 
And God spoke and shook that place with lightning and thunder, and the people were terrified. Listen, we've, we've lost that sense. God, God is sort of like a middle-class, goody-goody sort of guy. He's holy, and people are not right with him. And they need the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from that to save them, contrary to their own way of thinking. It is bad news. That's our part. We're sinners lost. It is good news. God has done it all. And we ought not be ashamed ever to say. And when you and I give the gospel, don't try and convince people. Just say, God has done it. This is great news. It's a finished work. It's for all and every. Come, have you taken of the sweetness of the gospel? It can be yours. God did it. You don't have to do anything. You don't. And that's why we should not be ashamed of it. Never. Don't be ashamed. It's the greatest news ever. Do not be ashamed of it. One of the greatest little stories I heard about that brought tears to my eyes of the idea of being ashamed and then the embarrassment of that. Uh, Dobson was telling the story years ago out in Colorado. It was in the day when they skied, snow skied, uh, there in Colorado. And, and whatever the mountain was, might have been a virgin mountain, but they didn't have a chairlift. So they would, and I remember some of that in Vermont. Yet they pile you on the back of a flatbed truck, and, and then they'd go up, go up the mountain. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's how they did it. And, and places, I think, still do it like that. And he said, we were all in the truck. He was skiing. And uh, there were about maybe 8 or 10 or 12 people sitting in their snow gear, skis there, and they're going up the mountain. He said, as they started going along, it, it was evident that one of, the, one of the teens, probably 13 years old maybe, was, there was something not quite right with her because she started talking and he said, I looked at it, and you could feel the crowd sensing like, you know, you can feel that in the crowd. And he said, I looked at him, and she had the unmistakable look of a Downs child. And you could, you could feel people just, you know, like, whoa. And he said, I just watched as I sat there, as the truck's going up the hill. And that instant, the biggest guy on the truck sitting there, scooted over next to her. I mean, he was big. And he put his arm around her and held her. And he said it brought tears to my eyes. because He wanted everyone there to know, she's mine, and I'm not ashamed of her. I, when I heard it, I don't know about you, but I'm not stoned. That, made, that brought tears. As a man that loved his daughter, man, father, make me that kind of dad. Paul, something even greater than our kids and all of the stuff that goes on in their lives. The greatness of the gospel. We should never be ashamed of it. Never. Never. The gospel, what is it? See, it provides us a righteousness. That, that we need to be saved. That's verse 17. For in, the, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, what, what, what's that mean? It's impossible, you see, for us to earn salvation by being good. Contrary to what may be going on in a lot of churches and settings and the hearts of people today. I'm just trying to be good. Church is like a pep talk. Try to be better. You know, when, when you die, St. Peter's going to weigh it out here. Uh-uh, no, you're in trouble if that's what you're thinking. 
you're in trouble. The gospel is the gift of righteousness. Now learn this now. It's a gift. God gives you the gift of Jesus' righteousness. He lived the life we should have lived. He's our substitute. He died the death we should have died. He died in our place. He's our substitute. And he declares us, the moment we're born again, righteous. He gives to us the righteousness of Jesus as a gift. And so now God the Father looks at you and me as newfound believers in Jesus in Christ, in him. You see, God will not love you anymore by trying, I'm going to be extra good and he'll love me extra more. He couldn't love you anymore than what he already does. You see, you can relax. You're his project. He saved you if you know him. That's why it's the, the enduring, abiding, greatest treasure ever in earthen jars. The treasure of the gospel. It's great. And our sin nailed to him in total, past, present, and future. And we're declared, it's a, it's a judicial term, this justification. He declares us, we're justified in a moment, declared just based upon the righteousness of Jesus that is given to us. We are in him. It's like, it's like this piece of paper is now in my Bible. See that? In him. He sees us as in Christ, meaning in his righteousness. That's what he's talking about in verse 17. Uh, and so uh, it's glorious. It's a gift. It's no wonder we sing uh, the grace of God that saved us through faith. Wow. And everything focused right up there in the bride and the groom. And there are usually a lot of other emotions swirling around in the wedding. Um, but that is tenderhearted, and you can almost feel the groom as he takes a bride and, and the sweetness of that. One thing about a, a wedding, when a man and woman get married, and a lot of times in, in, in the pre-marriage council, we go through debts and things and, and strengths and weaknesses and all that kind of thing. And the, today, it's common to have college debt, you know, um, as they bring into a wedding. And, and well, we'll look at the numbers and see what it is. I'm more concerned that they're talking about it and there's a plan. And sometimes it's way too high, and I wish I could change it, but you can. But in any event, I, I remember one couple where... He had maybe $15,000 in, uh, in, in school debt, and maybe a, a truck payment he was making. And she was real careful. She was really sharp financially. She had savings. She had no debt. She, was, and she got her education and all that. And I was thinking that when they come to marriage, they're going to bring both assets and liabilities. You know, so when they come to get married, because there's no prenups, okay, they were coming together. Her, her, she was not only taking him as husband, but they were as a couple. She was receiving his liabilities, his college debt. And some of her bank account might drop as that's cared for. And, uh, and they were both, I'm sure, receiving um, assets from each other. Just company, companionship, love, romance, Marital sexuality, beauty of that, that kind of thing. Okay? But it's more than that. Marriage is more than that, isn't it? It's more than that. That's like the cross. That 
that the, uh, the asset of Jesus' righteousness becomes ours. We get that at the moment we're saved. Our liability of our horrendous sin nailed to the cross at the point of marriage, when we're married to Christ, if you will, let me say that, it's salvation. But it's more than that. It's just not a legal transaction down at the Cumberland County Courthouse. We get the person of Jesus. They get each other. It's just not a legal transaction. And, and, and that's, that, that's the power of the gospel to change. You see, what God is doing to us, for us, in the gospel is, is we have the Lord Jesus. He is the one that satisfies us. We're going to talk more about that in weeks to come, the contentment and the deepness and satisfaction and contentment in life. It's not going to be found in your mates. It's not going to be found in a mate if you're not married. It's not going to be found in your job. These things are okay in their place, but God made us to find our deepest satisfaction in the gospel because Jesus is there, and he is in my life and in your life, and we ought to come to know what it means to walk with him in fellowship and find our deepest joy in him. If I put that upon faithy, you see, you, you become everything to me and everything I long for in a wife. She can't do it. God has never designed her to do that. You see, those are the things, in fact, that makes an idol out of her. You see what I'm saying? A job can never do that. If I just get the right job, I get the education, right job, and this and that, I'll, I'll be happy forever. No, you won't. Your heart was never made for it. It was made to be filled with Jesus. And sometimes we, I think we walk along in this gospel trail hardly recognizing that we live in the very presence of Jesus. We hardly ever talk to him. Maybe at dinner we'll say a little prayer. The Lord wants to, uh, to us to abide in him, to dwell in him, to live in him. That's the gospel. And that's why it, the second reason, not only is it the power of God to save us, but it is the power, uh, uh, the gospel alone is the power to change us, and it prepares us for heaven. Now, look over at this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I love this passage. I'm in this passage. You're in this passage. We're all in this passage. I absolutely love it. It's so filled with hope. Often we wrongly think about the gospel as merely the first chapter in being a Christian. But the reality is that the gospel's power continues to work in us until God takes us home. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at 9 through 11. Paul writing to the church in Corinth a sinful group of professing believers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? They're not saved, he's saying. Do not be deceived. In other words, think rightly about this. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here it is, and you can underline this. I love it. And such were some of you. That's what we were. That's why I'm in the picture, and so are you here. Such were. That word, there, there's, there's five sermons right there in that word. And such were some of you. But, here's the contract, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul, uh, writing to the Corinthian church, rebuked the believers there for acting like the godless world. They were taking each other to court. Now, God has designed human government. 
And there's a place for court, no question. Better than that, then people pull out their gun. Okay, we'll settle accounts. I'll blow you away. No, 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 we better, no, because of the sinfulness of men, we got to have judges and courts and way to, to settle disputes. Disputes happen in a fallen world. We look at things differently, right? But in the church, the body of Christ that have the mind of Christ, can't you settle differences of opinion among yourself? Just choose a couple of you, tell the story, and, and, and let them make a binding solution. I mean, you're going to judge angels. Why are you going to uh, d- uh, unregenerate men and women at courts of law to settle b- disputes between believers in a church? Ought not be. That's the whole context here. And in the midst of that, and he's rebuking them, he says, remember, remember what you were saved from. He gives a catalog of sins. They're, these are not total, not exhaustive, but they're typical of any unsaved. They're typical of us. As we, before we came to Christ, and sometimes we still mess up and fall into this stuff. These are people who are, are, are uh, characterized, look, look at, uh, and, and uh, let me say it again, a Christian we, we, we continue to sin after we're saved. We're God's project. He's changing our heart, but we're not dominated by these. We're not chained by it. That's the difference. The gospel and the power of salvation has broken the chain of, uh, of these uh, things, and God is delivering, begins to deliver us. And, and look, some of these, I just read the list, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, and such ones are not saved. And that is the unrighteous, and that's their lifestyle, and there's no change whatsoever. He's not saying about believers who have been saved and are beginning to walk toward heaven, and yet maybe, maybe fall into it on Friday night, Saturday night, maybe Tuesday night. They're drinking, they're drunk. Why am I drunk again? They're or, or involved with sexual issues or, or, or have trouble lying and, and continue to steal, and, the, and that we do these things. And God says, look, the power of the gospel, uh, this is what you were. You were dominated now. Now you're saved. The power of the gospel is changing you. Two steps forward, maybe one back, two forward. Maybe it doesn't look like for a long period of time there's much change, but the gospel is changing you. It's God's work in you. He stakes his name to it. Such ones. Well, Paul reminds them in B that the gospel's power Uh, has changed them, and such were some of you. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, hope for all. We live in a world where they don't think change is possible. You are the sum total of nature and nurture. That's it. That's it. B.F. Skinner, behavior modification. That's it. We can just explain it. Not so. Not so. Greater love hath no man than this, and to lay down his life for another. You can't define that by nurture or nature. For a GI to go jump on a hand grenade to save his buddies. And that happens. That isn't self-preservation. He did that in love. That's not the sum total of that. And the power of the gospel changes men and women. Even the apostle Paul. You know he was a murderer? Paul was a murderer. You know Moses who killed a man? Look at that. The grace of God in people's lives. Usually you think murder is the worst, right? Well, at least I'm not a murderer. The reality is we are. If we hate people, Jesus said, that's the same as murder. In other words, if you and I had the opportunity, we go kill them. We slice their throat in, in, a, in a rage. It's the same, same sin. And God changes us and makes us like Jesus. It's glorious. It's the power of the gospel. It's glorious. 
The sin has been broken, the power. But you were washed. That means this is regeneration. You were sanctified. That's our new behavior. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The shouts change. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. means we've had a major change in the way we look at life. Wow, isn't that glorious? That's the gospel in us, changing us. And you were, but you were justified. This is our right standing. Well, what can we say about this? The gospel, the lasting treasure, by way of lessons for our life. Number one, when you add up all your assets, you know, sometimes we're good at doing that, right? We get a piece of paper and add them up. You know, a lot of times, some of you are at the age of retirement planning. Some of you are now retiring. You say, I wish I did the planning. <laughs> and then a lot of times, the men and women that work that, they're experts on saying, now sit down and make a list of your assets, right? Well, I'm saying this, when you add up your assets, don't forget the greatest. It's the treasury of the gospel. It's the greatest. It's the greatest. When the money won't matter at all, it's the gospel. When we've been there 10,000 years, as if it were one day, it's the gospel. In, in jars of clay, praise God. Thank God for that, if, if you know him as Savior. Number two, did you know that churches are really construction zones? Did you know that your life is really a construction zone? You ever seen a construction zone? They're messy. They're messy. Remember 581 when that was ripped up for three years? I thought I was going to lose my mind. Right? We had people on the other shores that we can't drive over anymore. We can't take it. <laughs> Rob Miscalis, Dr. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I've been stuck in one too many single line. And now we're going like, why didn't they do three lanes in both directions? You know, like, oh, goody, I can't wait till they figure that one out and start doing that one. And don't you look, we are construction zones. You are a construction zone, and so am I. Sometimes it's pretty messy. A lot of times it looks like, no, no, doesn't look like much hope for him. <laughs> I've been there, and you've thought that about me. That's really what the gospel is. It's the power to save. It's the power to conform us and to make us into the image of Christ. But it's God's work. It's his homework project in our life. It's not your self-improvement plan. Please don't do that. Don't do that. God says, I'm doing it. I'm getting you ready. It's Saturday night. Heaven's coming, and we got to brush your, we got to get your hair brushed, and you got to shine your nails and whatever and all that stuff. Number three, change. True and lasting change comes only by the power of the gospel. Only. Only. That's why the gospel is so wonderful in our life. That's why it's so great. That's why cities need the gospel. You know, I, you see the shootings and all that, and I pray, Lord, plant churches, lighthouses there in the midst of hopelessness. Communities need the gospel. They need lighthouses. We need to penetrate the dark realms with the light of Jesus because that's the only way lives will be changed. That's the only way families will be changed. That's the only way our nation will be changed. That's the only way the world will be changed. By the gospel. Because the gospel changes us. Praise God for that. Not what I was. I'm not uh, what I'm going to be. But thank God, I'm, he's changing me. Or I won't sing for you like I've done in the past. He's still working on me. 
to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, but he's still working on me and you if you know him. Number four, learn to love Jesus with all your heart. It's not religion. It's not a system. It's not the organization. It's none of that stuff. Every day, Lord, thank you for this day. I love you, Lord. I, I want to love you more and more. Why should, you, uh, why should you strive in holiness? Why should you strive to uh, be obedient to the teaching of the Lord? Because you love him. Love ought to be the great motive. We're not jumping through hoops hoping to make him happier. That's backwards. We, we, because we love him, we want to do all this. Because we love him, he owns my checkbook. Because he, we love him increasingly, he owns my schedule, my daytimer. He owns any asset and any talent I have. I, I love the Lord. And, and, and then he tells us, you, you know, this is what I'm doing. And, and you want to do these things. And Listen, I, I love Faithy very much and I want to please her. I'm wired to do that. And if you're married or if you have folks you love, and that, you, you want it to. You don't want to be walking and, and, and hurting and breaking their heart and causing tears. No, we don't. We're not wired that way. And, and in the greatest way that we might love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, and our strength, that's, that's the gospel. And that's the gospel and the power and the power to change us in our lives. And enjoy Him. I no longer call you servants. Jesus, I call you friends. Yearn to please him. I want to please you more and more and more. And number five and last, I'm reminded the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the gospel is for all. It is. It's for all. It's an open day. Someday it won't be, but today it is. It's the one gospel for the whole world. The whole world needs to hear this. And today, I'd urge you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, today, say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord, I come to you and receive you as my Savior. I don't know what it's all about. Show me, teach me. Thank you for dying at Calvary for me. Thank you, Lord. I receive you as my Lord and my God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, that's, uh, that's the gospel. Uh, I just scratched the surface. It's, it's the lasting treasure. When you're down to your last dollar, and you need to. You go like, I'm in trouble. But if you got the gospel, you may not be able to get on the turnpike or buy a Coke. But really, in Jesus, we have everything. Amen. Amen. And God's people said? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for...